The Theo Knots, episode 63. The one where it's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel moderately gassy. The Theo Knots Podcast. Christian news from around the globe. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Explore the vast reaches of God's word. Hello, all you theomillennialists. I'm David Gaddy. And I'm Jeremiah Orr. Yes! And together we are the, the Theonauts. Back at it again, man. Wow. How long has it been? For like 20 years? 30? It seems like it's been a long time. <laughs> long enough that we don't even have levels set. No, it's so long that you're still hot. Oh, cool. Of course I'm hot. I'll always be hot, David. <laughs> Yeah, see, there's the laughter. I yeah, miss buddy. the laughter, I man. Know, I know. What's the deal? It's just I've been so like lethargic and Aww. forlorn. Yeah, I missed you. I missed you, man. Well, I missed you. Good. And our Theo heads. That's right. Missed you too. You know, I may not be as theological, but at least I'm, uh, you know, <laughs> Theo entertaining. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Thanks. <laughs> so, uh, you know, nothing's really changed for me since the last time. Uh, nothing at all. Nothing at not, all. Not a single thing no. has changed for me. For Actually, years. like, my entire world is changing. So <laughs> It just totally rocked. Didn't yeah. God is, uh, God is doing some crazy things in my life right so now. So, you took time off. Took time off. To focus on work. To focus on ministry. And the ministry... Stop focusing on me. No, I'm joking. <laughs> so uh, um, God called me out of Savoy, and he um, looks like he's directing me to a, a teacher position mm. um, at a Christian private school. Wow. So I'm no longer a youth pastor here <laughs> in Savoy. Now I'm still, I don't know. I don't know how you did it. I'm not Pastor Orr. No, but you'll still have... Yeah, I'll still be working with youth. Yeah. And, you know, teaching them English and Jesus. So, basically the same thing, right? So, yeah, I mean, look at... (laughs) That's great. Been been working here at the coffee shop doing... um, Yeah. Doing ministry and all this, all this time. I've never gotten... that's right. That, no, that minister pay? Yeah, no stipend. (laughs) Well, you know, the minister pay is... Definitely not the reason to do that. <laughs> That's not. Oh, oh, we were just sitting here li- listening to uh, uh, old Tilton, Robert Tilton. <laughs> well, that's true. That's true. He's, he's, Apparently, it could be a lot more than what I'm trying trying to pull from it. Uh, we'll uh, we'll we'll see more of that in a second. <laughs> but yeah, pretty so, interesting. So, how, uh, how's your life been? What what? Oh uh, well, not what have I not near as upside down as as yours apparently. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but man, uh, I have been trying my best to keep it keep it moving. Yeah, keep it going, and I uh, had some fun with the studies that we're doing. Man, been doing great. But, I love uh, the done. You've done a lot of like uh, cryptozoology and a strange, lot of strange, weird, wacky giant stuff. stuff yeah. And uh, well, you know that that's all extra that, canonical. Yeah, that stuff is is kind of 
a pet study for me. Sure. It's one of those things where it's it's not going to change your salvation you know, I mean, it's not going to change what you're preaching. It's right. not the gospel. There's nothing exactly, but it, but it does like have this intriguing mystery, fun sure. thing. Well, yeah, and, and you know, I, giants. I mean, who doesn't love giants? I used to ask people, you know, whenever we'd be studying, like, what have you been, what have you been studying that's fun? And people will look at you like, well, you know, I've. I don't know. I've been studying fellowship. We can have fun. I, the I, Bible? I, I, oh, that's not fun. <laughs> well, <laughs> this is serious business, yeah, David. Is, yeah, he's got to get serious, <laughs> goofing around. And it's like, well, think about it like this: if you are a, if if what's your hobby? Like, is your hobby card collecting or sports or or comics right. or whatever? You don't just study that stuff like to learn. No. No, you don't I can talk, I can ask guys, you know, stats for everyone in the NFL. I know sure. friends that can just pop that stuff out like right. crazy. And do you think they sat down and purposely thought, okay, I'm going to memorize this. I'm going to memorize this and I'm going to figure <laughs> it out and I'm going to be able to quote it when someone co- No, you just are so interested in it and it's that's enjoyable. Right. Yeah. You spend your time in it. Yeah. And it just happens. That's right. And that's the way. And that's the way the Bible should be. Sure. Us. I mean, we should. It should be fun and enjoyable. Amen. And, and uh, so, don't always have to. I mean, we're going to be talking about eschatology today. Oh yeah. And people get bent out of shape on this stuff. Oh man, big time. I personally don't, but a lot of people do. Yeah. And it's like if you can't. Well, and it, enjoy it. Yeah. The danger with eschatology, we'll get into it in a little bit. Yeah, I totally agree with you, though. Um, we can't base our world. We can't base our number one our our gospel off of eschatology, right? And a lot uh, of people do. Yeah, and, and <clears throat> you know that's where it can become dangerous. So you got to watch that. But it, you know, it, it's a fun topic. Uh, you know, there is one that was really interesting that I, I'm glad you touched on, and I probably am glad I wasn't here so much. Hell, that was a uh, that was one <laughs> heck of a topic. <laughs> That was so, a what? 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 <laughs> so Michael well, did a great job. Yeah, of, that was uh, fun. I, I really enjoyed that. And you know, um, it, it, I played the 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 antagonist to, <laughs> to his philosophy there. Right. But yeah. to be honest with you, I found that that mindset very intriguing. I, I'm not opposed to it in any way. Um, and the more I study it, and the more I look at it, the more I think that. You know, there, yeah. there, there may be something there. Right. The, the, I, I, t- I told him, though, uh, <laughs> we had a conversation afterward, and he was like, man, I left my best arguments on, on the table. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and so he was going through and, and talking about some of the stuff he didn't bring out on the show. And I was like, you know, you, that's the best argument for me. The one, one of them that he left on the table oh, really? was the one uh, that basically said, if Jesus did, did Jesus pay the price for our sins? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, everyone's gonna say yes. He's not burning in hell forever. He was tortured and he died. And to me, that's without all the other arguments. I mean, that's to, an interesting to, argument to, to go on. That's to me the most compelling one. Yeah. Because if he paid for it in I mean, that's a very logical. Yeah, if he paid for it in full. Of course, you know, we can we can look at 
you know, the ability of God and uh, the fact that God can do anything. Oh, yeah. And one of those things is allow, you know, uh, an allow eternity Allow this of punishment. to equal that. Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, I can see that. But the logic in me has a hard time sure. getting past sure. that one. But, sure. but anyway, uh, yeah. that was a fun episode. You I, have a 23 minutes in a hell book. Yes, I do. <laughs> that book is stupid, by the way. I know. <laughs> I, was just, I was looking around his his room while I'm going to this. I'm like, what is that doing in here? That's yes, really interesting. That that book is actually really stupid. It's it's funny. I mean, I, I kind of yeah, think it's, I, I kind of think it's funny. I used to, that was one of those <clears throat> I would hide whenever I was working at the Christian bookstore. Really? Yeah. Because it's like that guy is like. Dante's Inferno. Yeah. What he describes is right out of, of Dante. Yeah. <laughs> it's like really, you th- Dante hit it on the head. Yeah. You got it right. You know, chains and dungeons and, and yeah. pitchforks. I woke up and it was a dungeon. And then this demon came out. And I read it too. It's pretty interesting. So, <laughs> anyways, that that's a heck of a good study, hell. So, yeah. Um, so, so anyway, you, you want to jump into uh, some news? Yes. All right. And now the news. I bet you missed the news, haven't you? I do. All you right. know, I tried it. I know you did. It was good. It was okay. It was all right. You know, it just didn't have that Jeremiah flair. And I don't even have any Pope news today, which is kind of sad, but I'll bring it back. I promise. I promise. I, I even I'm promoted just, that. Yeah. Did in your you? return. Yeah, you listen to the whole... The well, okay, so here's my Pope news so far. The Pope is not really doing anything, except for he's about to visit the United States. So we'll have plenty of Pope news whenever he actually does visit the oh, United okay. States. Oh, okay, so it's coming. Yeah. We'll talk about the places he stops, <laughs> if he goes and sees the biggest ball of yarn. That might be interesting. Right. So, okay. No, this is the news I have. I actually just have three stories today. The main one being um, that... Uh, You've probably seen the videos. I imagine most people, if you're on um, any kind of social media, you've seen the videos of the Planned Parenthood, the uh, um, the insiders who go and they they basically pretend to be uh, university students or university professors, right. and they're buying <coughs> body parts from aborted babies. Um, and Planned Parenthood has, has been selling, laughing about it. Yeah, laughing yeah. about it, joking about it. You know, we'll sell you a kidney for five hundred dollars. <laughs> blah blah blah, and all this stuff. Well, um, it's it's coming to a head now. Planned Parenthood's kind of shot themselves in the foot, and I think that both conservative and and uh, liberal minds have been coming together on this, which is pretty interesting. Um, right now, a bunch of states are moving to cut funding from Planned Parenthood. Uh, Florida, being yes, one I of saw them. that. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Um, with Congress in summer recess into September, anti-abortion officials in a number of Republican-controlled states are rushing to halt public funding for Planned Parenthood in order to investigate um, uh, in reaction to the hidden camera videos claiming that it's profit that it profits from fetal tissue sales. Um, Planned Parenthood is actually fighting uh, Central Florida, fighting uh, Florida for the. They're in the law. They're in the the courtroom right now, mm-hmm. uh, fighting against this. But um, a bunch of people have been calling uh, for Congress to pull funding uh, completely from Planned Parenthood. Um, in fact, some Republicans have said that if uh, Congress doesn't uh, defund Planned Parenthood, that that uh, they want a um, 
they wanted to to do a government shutdown unless funds uh, federal <laughs> funds for Planned Parenthood and other family <laughs> planning programs are stripped from spending bills in the fiscal year on October first. So. It's a, it's a big deal going on right now. Uh, <laughs> they just don't want women to uh, have right to do right. with their body what That's they want exactly to do. That's exactly right. Those yeah. Republicans. Yeah, I can't believe they that d- they're they're using these factual videos. It's craziness. <laughs> um, by the way, uh, the people who are releasing these videos are saying they're going to release one once a week uh, for the rest of the year or something like that. Mm. They have enough videos to do that, and uh, they're going to do that uh, just to make their point so that the... Uh, um, so that this is not an issue that just goes away because they really want it to be an upfront issue for the next presidential election. Yeah. That's what they're trying to do. And so, man, man I, this type of stuff can get swept under the rug so quick. It is, you know, it, it, it can. And, and so it's, you know, it's something that we need to continually bring up because I'm telling you, if there's one thing, uh, as a Christian in, um, in uh, politics, I can get behind right now. It's the fight for abortion. Um, man, oh, yeah. fighting against abortion, so, <clears throat> especially Planned Parenthood, other you know other organizations such as that. that well, and our tax money to do abortion. That and, and like we have said it. before, it um, you know the the change really has to happen at home. It has to happen in your church. It has to happen in your school. Right. All that sort of stuff. But at the same time, if we can protect lives. And this is a, an issue that is is about lives. Sure, you know. So, yes, I'm 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 all about that. Wow. Well, uh, okay. So the next story I have actually comes from uh, the recent um, nuclear deal with Iran that, that Congress is working towards um, approving and doing. Have you heard about this at all? I don't think so. Uh, basically. Congress is is working with a deal with Iran uh, to s- cease nuclear development. Um, yeah, we've never done that before. No, not at all. Anyways, there are a bunch <laughs> of uh, there's been a bunch of anti um, uh, anti deal rallies going on, especially in the Jewish communities in the United States, um, with people who are frustrated. But now there's a uh, there's a an actual Jewish uh, a whole bunch of three, actually 340 rabbis met together and sent a, a letter to Congress on Monday supporting <clears throat> the agreement and rejecting the notion that most American Jews oppose the nuclear deal. Mm. Um, they say, most especially we are deeply concerned with the impression of the leadership of the American Jewish community in United in Opposition to the Agreement, the letter states. We, along with many other Jewish leaders, fully support the historic nuclear accord. Yeah, so the Jewish community around the world, concentrating the U.S. and Israel, has paid close attention to the nuclear deal, uh, which was negotiated by the U.S., Iran, Great Britain, France, Germany, Russia, China, and the European Union. It aids to hamper Iran's ability to produce a nuclear weapon and would lift sanctions on the theocratic regime. So they're trying to do a deal. If you, you know, if you stop uh, working on nuclear stuff, then, then we'll lift our sanctions. And so the most... Uh, most of the more conservative <clears throat> Jewish community is going, this is not going to work. All it's going to do is lift more sanctions on them, let them uh, you know, move more freely in their government and operations, and it's, it's basically going to do nothing to stop and hinder them from 
nuclear having nuclear armament. So I saw a really funny. Uh, I think it was an SNL skit on this. <laughs> Basically, uh, that's that's where the, that's where you get the best news. I know, man. It's great stuff. <laughs> but this skit was just pretty much the president going, "Okay, so here's the deal. We uh we're gonna go ahead and we're gonna do random searches." For your nuclear sites, and this is actually in the deal, by the way, <laughs> random cer- searches. But we're gonna give you thirty days notice before we do the random search. <laughs> okay. <laughs> actually, we've seen that type of thing before. Yeah, it's so retarded. Because that's what the UN used to do exactly. to Saddam Hussein. We're gonna search you. Hey, we're oh, coming. We didn't find we're anything. We're coming. Yeah. <laughs> surprise! Be ready surprise. for a surprise pop quiz. Yeah, it's coming. Yeah, it's, it's coming down the pike. Tomorrow. You, you never know when, <laughs> but it might be next Thursday at 3. So, just saying. But anyway. Or, so. you know, I used to work at McDonald's when I was in high school. Yeah. and, and Really? It, yes, can you believe that? <laughs> That's awesome. And, <laughs> and uh, they would always, the health inspectors would tell us, we'll be there tomorrow. Okay. So, wow. you know, it's like everyone's wearing their hair nets and their sure. gloves and handling stuff properly. And it's like the minute that person left, it's like, nah, forget all this. <laughs> Back to the old grind. That's great. <laughs> so the last thing I have in news is actually from a comedy source. John Oliver uh, did a huge <laughs> expose on televangelism. And uh, and basically the name it claim it, um, uh, yeah, he just section of televangelism. If you have a minute in, out there in Theo land, uh, go to the huffingtonpost.com and just type in John Oliver in the search, and you'll have, pull up. Have your filters on. Yeah, have your filters on because there's yeah, there's a couple of, but it are it bleeps them out. So make sure you're you know make sure your kids are not in the room, but. Uh, he does say a couple words, but it's a 20-minute expose on, I mean, he just rips into the name it, claim it uh, thought. And basically, the reason I consider this news is because it's going to, I think it's going to come up in another debate in the presidential election um, about tax exemption and the future of tax exemption for uh um, for for religious organizations, namely churches, he brings up a big argument that these name it claim it, um, yeah, churches such as Kenneth Copeland um, and some others like uh, Creflo Dollar, who we've talked about with a G six, yeah, uh, asking his fi- like a G six exactly. Well, all the funds that they receive in, they call it seed money. So basically, they'll tell you this: they'll say you want a cure for cancer, you want a cure for your harsh times, you want. Uh, your credit card <coughs> debt taken care of, then you send us in seed money. Uh, we'll bless it. We'll bless it. And from that... <laughs> we'll throw a little oil on it. Exactly. And from that, God will bless you monetarily. Hey, we should do that. Yeah. As the Theonaut. So from now on, if you are a Theonaut listener out there and you're struggling... Put a dollar in an envelope. And send it. Address it to the Theonauts. No, I'm joking. <laughs> so anyways. PayPal. PayPal it to us. Basically, but this is like a multi-billion dollar, really, industry from mm-hmm. these people. We'll make you rich. Yeah, exactly. And what they what they say is, if you send us money, then God will bless you. And he will give you tons more money. And they use scripture out of context to argue this. So See, they used to call this a chain letter. Yeah. 
That's yeah. right. Put a dollar in if, if you if you invest so much, in, put one dollar in twenty envelopes. Yeah, and tell them to do the same, or and and they you know they all send it back to you or whatever. Right. Before long, you're going to have millions of people sending you a dollar. Exactly, and then you have a million dollars. Makes sense. <laughs> no, uh, but what happens is, it, and this is, I, you know, there's one bane on American society. I think it's. The name, the prosperity gospel, yeah. is evil. But anyways, uh, he makes the great point that all this money they receive in is totally, completely, a hundred percent tax free. So they'll receive a million dollars and buy a G six plane with it, completely tax free if it's under the name of their ministry. Hmm. Which is tax fraud, right? Right. But legal tax fraud. Hmm. It's tax evasion. Tax evasion. But what <laughs> happens is, is, as long as they say, well, this is for ministry use, it's totally legal. It doesn't matter if it's tax evasion. And not only that, but he actually showed um, a video of, <laughs> of, of tax instructors working for the IRS saying that because uh, religious laws are vague on purpose so that these religious organizations can get away with this type of thing. Well, and but having having founded a 501c3, yeah. I also know that the IRS is very crazy whack on on getting that approval and all that sort of thing, but um, I think what this does is it causes like those are the guys causing the honest ones Yeah, that's what I'm all saying. The pain. So because now we had to jump through all these hoops, right? Because those guys are 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 well. Not only that, but John Oliver's causing us pain because at the end of this, he actually did. He filed his his uh, his um, uh, television show into a five hundred one c three, a non profit organization, and he called it his church, and he calls it the Church of Perpetual Income or something like that. And so uh, his Holy Church of Perpetual Income. And then he has an 800 number, and you can give him money, and it's totally tax-free, legal. He did that just to show how you know yeah, how can, messed up it is right. with the IRS. And so anyways, it, you know, having worked for a 401c3 for five years and knowing that we need that tax exempt status for right. a lot of what we do right. in the ministry. And it's for buying clothes for, well, plus if you're wanting donations for people and donations and all yeah. that, you know, people won't donate if you're not a 501c3. That's right. And so, cause you're not accredited, but what I'm saying is, is this is coming down the pike. I, I guarantee you in the next presidential election and, 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 and what Congress is looking at, um, I, I really think that the next step is, de, uh, you know, putting stronger sanctions on 501c3 religious organizations and de, uh, um, de giving the you know, de-statusing them as, right. as tax exempt, yeah. yeah, which is kind of sad. But I think also the homosexual thing is going to play into it. Mm. I have a feeling in the well, future. Yeah, I think it will too, because you're going to have this whole discrimination clause being thrown up against religious. Oh yeah, definitely organizations. Woo! So uh, that's all I got in the news. Oh, cool. Well, hey. Theo trivia. 
has been a long time coming. <laughs> and so we're just going to start over on this whole thing. What do you say? Dude, bring it on. I think I was just totally killing you last time, so <laughs> I, I'm okay with starting over. I, I, well, I need to come up with another good Bible game that we can... <laughs> that we can uh, make a... What other good Bible game would there be other than know. trivia? I don't How know. Do I don't that? know. But, uh... Sing a psalm. Go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So, now, who goes first? You going to... Uh, I'll ask you a question first. Okay, we're on the Old Testament. Then. Yep. What two things does God tell Abraham... That his offering will be as numerous as offspring, not offering. By the way, got it. I totally got it. unfocused on <laughs> <laughs> prosperity gospel. That would be as numerable as the sands of the sea and the stars in the sky. Ding, 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 ding. Yay! You got that one right, my friend. Good job. Good job. All right. Let's see if I'm as uh, old testament brilliant. Um, uh, you'll you'll like this one. Okay. Who acquired the name Jerubael by destroying an altar? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, now I'm trying to think of all the people who have destroyed altars. You know this guy. Yeah. So, uh, do, you, do you need to see the spelling? Was it in Judges? Can I ask you that? Uh, yes. You can ask me that. It was in Judges, <laughs> and he destroyed an altar. Uh, okay, I'm going to say... Gideon? Yes! Woo! Nice. Awesome. <laughs> okay. So, here we We're go. We're on history and geography. Okay. This is a tough one, I think. Here we go. What is the modern name for the city of Byzantium where a Christian Roman emperor transferred his headquarters? <laughs> know this <laughs> really how do you know this no <laughs> i have to get some clarification okay okay used to be byzantium is that what you're asking did i even did i even say it right b-y-z-a-n-t-i-u-m byzantium yes so constantinople well, istanbul istanbul was constantinople <laughs> But the Istanbul is Constantinople. So Istanbul. Yeah. Close enough. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. The place of three names. So, how do you know that? Where's that? It the at? song. Oh, it's not in the scriptures. That's just history. Well, there wasn't a verse tied to that, right? Then why is this in the Bible game? <laughs> because it was the seat of uh, the Holy Church. At one point. Well, well yeah, I know half that. Of it. I guess, yeah. But I didn't the Byzantine, know it was called... The Byzantine Empire. Oh, that's where that comes from. Yeah. 
uh, uh, Constantine. That's why it was Constantinople. Yeah. Well, I knew it was Constantine, but I didn't know it was the Byzantine Empire. Yeah. Byzant- B- Byzantium. Yeah. But, okay. Wow. I'm a moron. Okay. Here we go. Who is generally credited with writing the first bi- uh, five books of the Bible? Really? <laughs> you want a different one? <laughs> no, not at all. I love that. Moses. <laughs> awesome. Woo. That's great, man. Okay, well, so we're tied. Yep. And we're ready to move on. Bring it. I've got, allow me to make this disclaimer, everybody. I, uh, I'm barely ready to do this. <laughs> so am I. So, I <laughs> Dude. so maybe if you're barely ready and I'm barely ready and we spent 30 minutes getting up to this point, then we'll be totally ready. Then we're good. Yeah. That's yeah, not a problem. All right. Um, um, so. Yeah, eschatology. Eschatology. What, what what does the word eschatology mean? The study of the end times. That's Correct. All I know. <laughs> <laughs> all right. See you next week. <laughs> Drop the hope, mic. Hope you got. <laughs> hope you guys enjoyed it. Woo! No. Okay. <laughs> So we have been. We, we told since, you to be Bereans, right? Exactly. So go study it for yourself. Ever, find, find out what eschatology is. And get back with us. Exactly. Ever since the inception, the conception of Theonauts, we have danced. We've done a dance. We have around eschatology. And, and we're honestly probably not going to do it justice at this point. No. In fact, this probably needs like a month of just like serious. Well, I'll tell you what, we'll do an overview, and then maybe we'll come back and talk about some of the individual things. Yeah, that sounds good. Like, maybe we'll do a millennialism type of study, you know. Yeah. Well, whatever. Sure. Okay, so um, one of the things that we're just going to kind of give you a 50,000-foot a view of eschatology. We're not going to, like, dig down into all the details. No, because we, there's so We just much. don't have time. Right. And this is a topic that has divided churches, that has uh, cre- has divided families. It has caused all kinds of problems. People have been burned at the stake, I'm sure. Uh- <laughs> it's hilarious. You know, I was in, in, in studying this. The first thing I went to was my uh, book uh, that actually I bought because you had a copy, and so I, I came up with it, uh, Beliefs. Of the ancients, right? That that oh, um, the dictionary of um, yeah, dictionary Christian, of Christian beliefs, beliefs, right? Which sounds really stupid, but it's so awesome. It is a great reference. Yeah, check that out if you if you have a chance. If you're interested at all in what right. uh, the writings of the um, early church early fathers. church fathers, the the Antonicene fathers, right, wrote about because it's not their entire works, no, but it's snippets of what they've written right and not only that but it 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 uh it's done in alphabetical order by topic right so it's really cool you know you could look up eschatology and see what the early church fathers did one of the things that i loved was i, I looked up um the mark of the beast and i looked up uh 
the number of the beast, right, the, the right. thing, the Antichrist. And I love because some of these guys like Arrhenius Arine- and uh, and some others were like, yeah. well, it could be this name or it could be this name or it could be that name because they were thinking alphanumeric Greek numerals, right? Right. So they, they had this whole idea of... And there's still a lot of people that hold on to that. Right, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And uh, But there was another guy, and I wish I would have brought my book, but I forgot it. But there's another guy who's just like, it's most definitely this name. <laughs> so look for a guy with this name, and that's going to be the Antichrist. Nero. That's going to be the beast. Well, that's what I believe, Nero. But hey, hey, calm down. Calm down. Whoa, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Let's let's take a step back. Yeah. Um, so where do we begin, David? Well, I guess let's, let's begin by talking about uh, camps. Okay. Because that's really what ends up happening. People start camping oh, yeah. up on this. You know, oh, you believe this? Oh, I believe that too. And before long, you've got, we a, got names. You've got isms and, right. it, and ists. Yeah. In fact, they so. should have their own flags and like chants. <laughs> yeah. Well, We're the post millennials. Speaking of, <laughs> speaking of good books yeah. that are good resources to look at, this is one of my favorite books for um for this type of study yeah uh it's called revelation, revelation four views a parallel commentary by edited by steve uh greg yeah it has no like the guy who put this together does not really express an opinion awesome on it what he does is uh the 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 text is broken down Chapter by chapter, verse by verse. It's only the book of Revelation. Sure. But it will give you a good um, overview as to what four major views. So what are those four camps? Okay. So uh, the camps that are discussed in here are the uh, preterists. Yes. Uh, and so the... the Preterism. Yes. The concept of the the... The preterist is that um, that all of at least Revelation, and depends on how preterist you are, um, that it all is in reference to the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in AD seventy. Yep, the end of the end of Jew, uh, Jewish reign in AD seventy right. in, in Jerusalem. So that the writings of John, the writings of Ezekiel, Daniel, all this stuff was including Jesus's Olivet discourse. Yes, in, uh, in Matthew, which is Matthew twenty four. Right, all of that culminates to the destruction of the temple. Yeah, in AD seventy. Yeah, so that's the preterist view, and so like for every every chapter in Revelation. There's a column that says preterist. Right. And so you can read uh, what these guys think. Now, some uh, popular han- uh, uh, preterist are uh, Hank Hanegraaff. Yep. Um, well, he's not a... He's not all the way, but he's pr- he's almost Actually, all the way. most of these preterists that we, we would list would be... I, I don't think almost any of them are all the way that I'm, that I'm thinking of. My... My major one is R.C. Sproul. Mm-hmm. He's a, he calls himself a moderate preterist. Yeah. So that's what you do whenever you don't want to fully commit. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> or you can see that there are two different things going on. Right. Which is makes. I, sense. I guess I'm a moderate everything. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So you've got the uh, Jay Adams. 
is an, yeah. is another um, uh, preterist. <clears throat> You've got um, so anyway. Let's let's talk about the four these, these yeah, four sorry, major. We kings. got off topic. And by the way, there are uh, m- multiple divisions of each one. Right. But you've got uh, preterism, you've got uh, the historicism. Yes. So the historicist believes that all the eschatological passages in the scriptures are being played out continually throughout history, all culminating in the end of the world. Yes. Okay, so it's a map of history. Yeah. The world history. That's their basic view of it. Um you can get those guys like Adam Clark, uh, Albert Barnes, popular commentary people. Right. Th- these guys are, are uh, traditional historicists. Yes. Um, and, the, you know, there's some really interesting and cool views that I was not really uh, familiarized real well with the historicism before, before I went in, before I read this. And um, But it's a, it's a great, great... Um, um, alternative way of looking at it because right. okay now the most popular camp is the futurist the futurism <laughs> yep most people hang out in the futures camp and that one can be broken down even deeper into the most popular camp which is the millennialists correct? yeah well you've got well dispensationalists yeah okay so dispensationalism um is really where this where the futurist camp came from. Now dispensation uh, dispensation is an era of time, right? And so um, it, it basically takes uh, what was that guy's name? Charles Larkin was yeah. was one, he was a um, he he wrote a bunch of 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 these charts. Mm-hmm. Of the end times, and actually, you can go up to Lifeway and, and still purchase these. Yes, it, oh, he's a great uh, chartist. I mean, it's amazing. He draws well, and he's got he thinks through it really well. But what he'll do is he'll draw these timelines of history, and uh, so if you're interested in in to see what these dispensations are, basically, it's you know you had your Old Testament covenant, then you have the church era, and then you have the post church era, right. which is falls in line with all the stuff in Revelation, a big chunk of Daniel, some. Uh, Ezekiel, yeah. and there's obviously there's Psalms and all kinds of other things that are are end times uh, yeah. discussing. And just uh, <clears throat> by the way, dispensationalism is one of the latest uh, forms of eschatology. Correct. Um, it was brought about in this. A lot of people don't realize this because, um, and I, I want to bring this to light with dispensationalism. Uh, the uh, Dispensationalism is so the Left Behind series, yes. Um, which and we'll get into more under the dispensationalists, but dispensationalism is the most popular camp, isn't it? Uh, it seems to be the loudest camp. Right the now. loudest camp. Yeah. The, they're everywhere, right? The, and and most people, like I know a lot of people that just they, they just believe whatever their preacher tells them. And, exactly. And what's here's the thing that bugs me really about the futurist. It's not really their theology. It is their absolute surety. Yes. 
of it. Yes. Like they treat it like there's only this is the story, yeah. and this is how it's gonna happen. Yes, I mean, like they've they've got it mapped right. out. Right. Like this is the future. What they don't realize is it was it was brought about by a man named John Nelson Darby. And who lived in the 1800s, uh, lived mm-hmm. from 1800 to 1882. The reason it became so popular is because, and I imagine you go to your grandmother if you're a if you are a uh, if if you're a Protestant and like I don't know a Baptist or even you know Church of Christ or whatever, mm-hmm. you go to your grandmother and you ask her, "Do you have a Schofield Bible?" And she'll probably say, "Yes, I do. It's sitting right over here." Because Schofield was the most popular and almost the only one of its kind yeah. study Bible. Well, it was like the 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 genesis of study, study Bibles. Bibles. That's yeah. right. And everybody owned one back then. And mm-hmm. Schofield. Uh, was a hardcore dispensationalist, and he taught Darby's dispensationalism, uh, especially uh, premillennial dispensationalists. Yeah. So um, that's why it is the loudest camp, and that's why most most uh, churches today are premillennial dispensationalists, even though they don't know their origin, which is really funny to me because I'm going, uh, did you know that Cyrus Schofield was just a pastor who didn't go to seminary. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying he wasn't a smart man. Man, the Schofield Study Bible is awesome for its notes, but it's one man's theology, and so we got to be careful with that. Anyways, well, go ahead. Well, the the thing about th- this dispensationalism, futurism, has basically taken over popular culture of. Christianity, if right. you look at it like that. Since the 60s, really, yeah, majorly. It's, it's, I mean, you got Hal Lindsey. Yeah. Uh, was it? He wrote The Late Great Planet Earth, I believe, yeah. and, and so, some of these Man. books from the 70s that just exploded this idea. Right. And uh, then these the, movies came out. Um, the One of the ones I remember, I think it's called Like a Thief in the Night or something. But, you know, it's the greatest, like, I'll, I'll never forget being scared out of my mind as a six-year-old or seven-year-old because I'm watching this, and there's a guy shaving, and his wife's in the next room, and you hear the shaving, and the wife's talking to him, and she's like, Bob? Bob? And she goes in there, and the shaving thing just, the thing just laying on the sink, still vibrating, and you hear this wong, and like, he's gone. And I'm like, I'm going to wake up one day, and my parents are going to be vanished, and I'm going to be all alone. (laughs) Yes. So the whole left behind thing fits right into, and, and the main reason it does, and this is where it starts getting really confusing because there are all these sub camps yes. of each one of these. Right. So in the futurist um, camp, you've got um, okay. Back up. Let's just a little bit. Futurism is all about everything in the Revelation, everything in the latter parts of Daniel. All all this stuff is pointing to the future. Right. And we haven't seen any of it yet. It's mapped out. We know that. First, this is going to happen. Then this is going to happen because people have have, sure. have kind of mapped out this whole process. There's going to be a tribulation. Uh, it's going to be three and a half years or seven years, depending on your understanding of it. Right. Then, then uh, you're gonna you're gonna have um, uh, Armageddon and all yep. this. Stuff. Okay. So, but one of the questions that is debated and all this within the futurist camp is 
Rapture. Yes. Okay, so let's talk about Rapture just for a minute since we're talking future. Very interesting, by the way. Okay, okay the the word Rapture. Yes. Uh, and this is for my, Michael's uh, sake because I was eavesdropping in on them in their last show. <laughs> and since they knew we were talking eschatology, this was on Michael's mind as he was going on and on. And uh, he definitely leans... Toward Away the, from the futurists. Yeah, yeah, he leans toward the preterism stuff sure. like you do, and and so, <clears throat> and I can I can get that, um, but <laughs> here here is uh, one of the things that, that came out in, in their little discussion is where is rapture in the Bible? In the Bible is it in the Bible? No, technically oh, sorry. Sorry. it is in the Bible. Yeah, okay, go ahead. <laughs> so it's not just a term that someone made up. Right. Uh, it is in First Thessalonians four. And I'm going to uh, jump over in the ESV. Okay. First Thessalonians 4, and this is uh, near the end of the chapter, <laughs> verse 16. It says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with a shout, sound of the trumpet of God, mm-hmm. and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Yes. Okay. This term caught up mm-hmm. is a Greek term, harpazo. In the Latin Vulgate, our, our, our friend Jerome right. translated and chose the Latin word rapturul. Ooh, rapture. So rapturul comes from harpazo. So it's, it means caught up. Yes. So the term rapture is biblical because it simply means caught up, and it's right here. Now, the question is, when does this verse happen? Right. That's, that's the debate. Sure. Is it at the beginning? Of, okay, we're in the futurist camp now. Let's not, we're, we're still talking something other than, <laughs> than, um, than preterism or historicism or even spiritualism, which is the fourth camp that we haven't even mentioned yet. Oh no! <laughs> so, but but you're talking futurism, right? So they've got to figure out since they're mapping all this when this rapture when thing this rapture occurs in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. Well, yes, but then when <laughs> do where do I put it on my timeline? Right, because and by the way the. Uh, in the futurist, you have these things called dispensationalists. Okay, dispensationalist, dispensation of ages. Okay, mm-hmm. so um, Schofield would say that we are currently in the church, church age. age. Okay, uh, there was apostolic age, then the church age. Before that mm-hmm. uh, was the, I forget. You can actually go and find these maps anywhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> go online. Go and find Google Larkin's it. stuff because yeah. it's pretty. Yeah, it, it really is pretty. Um, <laughs> Amazing art artist, but uh, anyway, so when, in what age, and where do we mark this this moment twinkling in an eye thing? Yeah, it's like um, most of all your popular um, evangelists that are on the radio and et cetera, et cetera, that fall into this futurist dispensationalist camp, including the left behind guys. Yes, uh, what is Tim LaHaye? Tim LaHaye. And um, what's the other Jerry guy? B. Jenkins. Jerry B. Jenkins. And um, Jerry B. Jenkins. Of course, Hal Lindsey. And, right. and I think D.L. Moody was in that camp too. But anyway, the, what they do is is they most of them believe that this rapture happens prior to this tribulation that we talked about. 
Right. Now, the tribulation tends to be the thing that everyone is uses as a milestone. So it's like, does, does the rapture happen before the tribulation? Does it happen in the middle of, of the tribulation? Yeah. Or does it happen after the tribulation? Post-trib. So almost all of your futurists are going to fall into one of those three camps. Right. So most of them are in the pre-trib rapture. They, they believe that, that, that the first thing that's going to happen is, is all, the, um, all the faithful, all the true Christians are going to be swept off the earth, raptured, right, leaving behind a group of people who are now going to have to go through this the tribulation. seven years or three and a half years yes. of tribulation. And, and most dispensationalists believe seven years. Mm-hmm. So you go rapture, seven years of tribulation, mm-hmm. the second coming of Jesus, which is Armageddon, thousand-year reign. Yeah, which, which is, we'll get to that in a minute, too. Yeah, <laughs> and then the last judgment. Okay, so you've got um, you've got those three camps uh, right. th- inside the futurist camp. Yeah. Um, so it, it, let's 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 put these guys on the back burner just for a minute. Sure. And let's go ahead and talk about the spiritualists. Um, the spiritualists uh, they believe that all these passages that that are in question here are symbolic. Yeah. And symbolic only. So they are symbolic of the Christian walk, which right. is fulfilled in everyone until the end of the world. So they don't really necessarily believe that, um, like, for example, the bowls of wrath or whatever that come out in the Revelation are right. pointed to some future point that they are represent, representing things in our lives. Right. And and they'll even take, like, the first few chapters of the Revelation and spiritualize those. So, like the first few chapters is John setting up his right. vision, right? Uh, and one of the first things he does is he has this 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 discussion with Jesus, where Jesus writes letters to the seven churches, yeah, the of, seven churches. Uh, of Asia. Well, the spiritualists believe that those aren't real churches; those, well, they're not physical churches; they're not right. literal churches. They are representations of spiritual of different types of types, churches, yeah. and they also believe, or they, they they can also many of them believe that those represent time frames, dispensations, if you will. Right. Uh, so, so once again, you've got all kinds of, of oh man of things, and the, the the spiritualists can actually really go off the deep end whenever it's all said and done because they're not bound to anything. Right. They they spiritualize the entire thing. It's very easy to be a spiritualist because you can just go, well, you know, it's a spiritual, it's mm-hmm. a symbol, it's a you know symbolic, and sometimes I just don't understand all the symbols and which, which means you've got a slew right. of. Smaller camps within these spiritualists. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, some, a couple of, of more popular spiritualists include Leon Morris, uh, Homer Haley. Uh, these are guys that huh. that have, have have leaned this direction. Um, I just want to give an example, right quick, uh, since I do have this nifty little book here. Um, but just to kind of give you an idea of how separated everybody is in their thinking, at least in terms of the book of Revelation. Okay. So um, looking at chapters 14 through 16 of the Revelation, that is where the seven plagues happen. Bowls of wrath are unleashed. 
So, you know, it's, of course, it's very, uh, right. you know, and then this bowl was, this vial was released and then this one was released and, sure. and it brought pestilence upon, you know, okay. Well, uh, I just want to read through and, sh- and kind of show you where everyone is on these bowls of wrath. Okay. So what do they think they are? The historicist approach says, in general, seven bowls of wrath find fulfillment in the judgment upon the papacy, which they refer to as Babylon. So in the in the Revelation, whenever um, whenever it talks about um, um, the Babylon, great mystery religion, Babylon. Right. What they're talking about is come together. Hallelujah. The Pope is here. (laughs) The Pope. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, so he's the Antichrist or whatever. Well, yeah, in, in this. of course. But anyway, going back to here, the historicist approach is that uh, that this is judgment upon the papacy, beginning with the French Revolution and the Napoleonic Wars and concluding in the future. <laughs> right. Okay, so if you can map one of these bowls to the French Revolution, you can map one of these bowls to the Napoleonic Wars, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that's uh, okay. I'm, I'm not going to comment on how much of a stretch that is, but okay. Okay. The preterist approach. Yeah. The preterist says okay. that the judgments of these bowls are largely against Jerusalem, culminating in its fall in AD 70. Through the fifth bowl, or though the fifth bowl touches the Roman Empire as well probably referring to the chaotic state of affairs that prevailed after Nero's suicide. Alternately, this section says nothing about the fall of Jerusalem and refers strictly to the judgment of God upon pagan Rome. Yeah. So that's the preterist taste. So it's all history. I mean, it's all something that's already occurred. Futurists. Makes sense to me, by the way. (laughs) The futurists have to say about this. The bowls represent future global judgments that in their devastating effects are unparalleled in history. These occur at the very end of the tribulation period, culminating in World War III or the Battle of Armageddon. Armageddon. This war is the last battle to be fought by (laughs) mankind, and it will be ended by the personal appearing of Christ as he comes to establish his millennial kingdom. I mean, I love the drama. In that, <laughs> by the way, this would make a really good movie, and that's it the has. reason. Yeah, I mean, come well, on, it hasn't made a good movie, <laughs> not yet, <laughs> man. If I were, I would pick Ridley Scott to do Armageddon, man, and I would have like every army pointed at Israel and like about to blow them up, and then all of a sudden, oh, you know, and Jesus with his horses. Okay, anyways, go ahead. Okay, so that's the futurist take on it. This is World War III sure. and all the things that lead up to it. Sure. The spiritualist approach is this. There is a relationship between the bold judgments and the trumpet judgments. The former may be a recapula- recapitulation of the latter. So, in other words, it's re- reiterating the previous trumpets. Right. Uh, the the principal distinction between the trumpets and the bowls is that their form the former are partial in their effects, 
and serve to warn the wicked of their spiritual danger, whereas the latter are complete and represent final judgment upon the unrepentant. Yes. The same event in history may serve as a trumpet judgment for one person, a mere warning, and a bold judgment for another person, right. or a final judgment resulting in death. The disasters described recur in history repeatedly. So it's just all kind of up in there. Right. It can be whatever you want it to be. Exactly. So anyway, that kind of gives you an idea of how vast the thinking on this can be. Now, here's what I found interesting when I was going through this book. And because this is one of normally this is a reference type of book. Dude, I read this book cover to cover. <laughs> I'm so fascinated with it. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. But it, uh, what is interesting whenever you do that, though, is you start to see like you're in chapter five or chapter six or seven or whatever, and you're reading through and you yeah. start reading column one and you go, hey, that sounds pretty good. Right. And then you get into the next chapter in that same column, the one that you agreed with on the previous chapter. Hey, you're totally off. Sounds like horse wash or whatever. I mean, this is like, what? This is, there's no way. You're really stretching. Sure. And, uh, but then one of those other columns reads really well and really clear. And so it was almost, it's, it it almost gives you this idea. It's like God playing around with us or, or something a little bit because he understands that. Once you pick a camp, then you once you you've decided this is all ha- past. Right. None of it's in the future. Or if you are in the future, none of it's in the past. Or if you're it, it, when you pick one side, you got to go with all of it. So right. you can't have one chapter in the middle that doesn't fit. So you have to try and figure out. Oh, okay. Well, I know this is in the past somewhere. I know this is in the future somewhere, and that is a form. of of eisegesis yeah where you take and you are you are putting your philosophy on top of the scripture and understanding it based on your philosophy instead of letting the text speak for itself sure and and the book of revelation for sure is so emblematic and so um symbolic that to make a firm determination that you know exactly what it means I think is hubris. Well, yeah, and not only that, here's my thing. I think it's almost impossible not to do a little bit of eisegesis in Revelation. I think it's just impossible. (laughs) The reason being because we're just going to have opinions on it, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, Revelation is, is, is prophecy. (laughs) So having opinion on prophecy is going to be an, a natural occurrence. So that, because of that, now there are certain there are certain things in Scripture that I I I will not do eisegesis on, you know, um, at all. But in this one, I think that it's it's almost impossible. I believe it's impossible not to not to be air an eisegesis in, at some point. And so, mm-hmm. therefore, you cannot be dogmatic. Well, I think it. the key. It is what you just said. It's not being dogmatic about it. Right. Be open to all kinds of different things. Exactly. You know, one of the, one of the things that that I've kind of, you know, I, I've used on the show before is this whole concept of time. To me, is very fascinating. Yeah. And part of the problem with our understanding of eschatology is we have to find a time to put it in. Yeah. 
I mean, we, we are all, we're either looking to put it all in the future or all in the past or all spread out. Right. But, you know, maybe sometimes it is a little bit of all of those things. Maybe one passage of prophecy is pointed to the future. One of them is pointed to the past. One of them is pointed to right where you are right now. Exactly. Maybe that there are passages that the thing is, don't shut your mind off to them and go, no, 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 it can't be any other way. Yeah. I'll give you an example. You know, in the Olivet Discourse, when Jesus Jesus basically gives this whole spiel about the destruction of mm. Jerusalem, which yeah. is what he's talking about there. Right, I think. Anyways, yes. So he's 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 giving this huge description. I mean, how do you not, if you're a Jewish person sitting there at the Olivet Discourse, you listen to that, and then when you're an old man in 70 A.D., not think this is exactly what Jesus was talking about. <laughs> right. I mean, this is. I'm watching this happen. The abomination of of uh, desolation. I mean, this is this is it. Mm-hmm. I mean, this, this is what's going on. And so, you know, there's a I don't know a g- good example of that. But anyways, so where were, were we at dispensationally? Where are you at spiritualism? Yeah, I just kind of wanted to go over the four camps. Okay, first off, but uh, while you're talking about the the Olivet Discourse, yeah, I think it's interesting too because different camps lean on the Olivet Discourse in different ways. And it's almost like Jesus is just being very vague about a lot of this stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, their question was, what is the sign of your coming? Right. Okay, so this is is to me where I'm still, I mean, there's a lot of preterist views that that I can follow. Right. I have a really hard time. With eighty seventy being the second coming of Jesus. See, and I don't believe that it is. But most preterists do, and they because right. it's a because once again it's a non literal coming. It is a coming of his judgment. It's a coming in the clouds, right? And so that's what all these passages about Jesus coming in the clouds is a clouds is a symbolic thing of judgment. judgment. You go back. So yeah. I mean, I get it. I mean, I understand it. The thing is, I can't buy into it 100%. Right. Because there's all these things that Jesus kept saying about, I'm coming back, and I'm coming back, sure. and I'm coming back. And he was doing it like it's this is a good thing, yeah. not it's a bad thing. And it's going to be in a, f- a full establishment of the kingdom. Yes. And people are like like Thessalonians. The whole reason we have this caught up in the clouds uh, discussion right. is because these Thessalonians are so obsessed with the second coming right. that they're A, not working anymore because they expect it to happen anymore. Right. They're sitting and watching the clouds. They're <laughs> crying and wailing because they've got dead loved ones yeah. who are going to miss out on it. Right. And so he has to kind of explain to them, no, they didn't miss out. And they're also concerned, have we missed it? Have we missed it? Did it already happen? Right. So you've got all this type of stuff. Why why do they have this impression that this second coming of Jesus is going to be take me home? Mm. That's their impression. Right. If it's not, if all the second coming of Jesus is, is the destruction of Jerusalem. I say that like it's a little thing. It's not a little thing, but I don't know. That's, I still have a hard time with that. See, and I think um, that I I actually go and I look at the Olivet Discourse as talking about two different things. Mm -hmm. It's the only way I can look at that. (laughs) 
Which I know even though they ask one question, it can be a stretch, right? But because I see him transferring, and I think Jesus has done this before, but I see him transferring from um, seventy A.D. destruction of Jerusalem. Because I mean, it's obvious there to me. Yes, part of that is just yes. obvious. Well, he talks about um, the stones being no thrown stone down, be, yeah, right? Yeah, left unturned and and all that. But then he goes on and he talks, and, and he also says that. Um, and some of you will see this. I, I assure you that not all of you will perish yes. before these things happen. Um, well, yeah. Let, let me let me read that right quick. Cause, sure. uh, so this is um, th- this is from Matthew twenty four verse thirty three ESV. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Okay. Now, first off, he's talking to them, basically saying, when you see these things, and then he says, truly. I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Right. Okay, so these are obvious verses that the preterists lean on. They're like, that's very, very clear that this is going to happen in their generation. Give me that verse again. I'm sorry. Matthew 24, 33, 34. 33, that's right. I'm pulling it because I, I, yeah, I get what you're saying. But, you know, one of the things that's... that's, uh, then the very next verse, though, it says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Right. Okay, now is that figurative? Heaven and earth will pass away? Because it certainly didn't literally pass away in AD 70. Um. <laughs> See, and I, I almost feel like he switches gears <laughs> after he goes, uh, this generation will not take away until all these things take place. So he's, first he's... Uh, Son of Man, the tribes of the earth will mourn. See the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven, the power of glory. So I think, again, and I, I didn't have enough time to really just sit down and re-research this because it's been so long <laughs> since I studied it. But. Well, I know the predators can make that fit, right? And that's not I, I, I can go with it. I'm a symbolic guy too. I can see it, but to me, there's parts that are very clear. But then there's parts that make it a real stretch. You know, it's kind of like what I was saying. Sometimes some of these other views make a lot of sense, but then the other ones make a lot of sense. Right. Um, um, and okay, so I see him switching, and here's where I was looking at. If you go and you look, abomination of desolation. Yes. Uh, and that's to me. Obama. He, Did you say Obama? Abomination. Sorry. The Obama. Did you nation. hear that there are people that it's freak out Obama? about that, by the way? Nation. It's really funny. Abomination of desolation. desolation. Okay, go ahead. Um, okay. Um, I think he switches gears when he starts talking about the abomination of desolation. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what he does is he, he goes, okay, so I'm going to talk to you about uh, the destruction of the temple or destruction of Jerusalem real quick. Yes. And then he he broadens his scope again to talk about the end time. So he's talking about two different things. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel stay in the holy place, verse 16, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is in the housetop not go down and take what is in his house. Um, and this is exactly what happened, by the way. It came suddenly. There were people that were just destroyed. The people people fled to the mountains. Yeah. Other ones did not come back. And this is, you know, yeah. Uh, um, verse twenty. Yeah. Go ahead. Pray that your your flight uh, may not be in the winter and the Sabbath. Um, 
all the stuff. For there will be a great tribulation, such as not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and will never be. Okay, so he's talking about something big that's happening. Okay, but I want to stop and think about that just for a okay. second. Just what he said there. There will be destruction like it's never been seen before. Yeah. Okay, now I will I will I will say that the temple destruction was a huge massive uh well it was their world. world destroying thing, but it had happened before. And Solomon's temple was much bigger, much broader, much <laughs> grander than than Herod's was. Well, yeah. And and it was destroyed. It was it was rent to the ground in the same way by Babylon. Right. Under Nebuchadnezzar, yeah, I can, I can, see and it destroyed their world. Then, they, in, in fact, it, they were exiles then, right? Too, but again, this is a apocalyptic literature, <laughs> right? I keep using that, but I'm like, okay, so what he's doing is he's describing big things, right? And right, I, right. I don't know if you can take and go, well, it says like never before, so it happened before, so this doesn't work. I don't, I don't know if you can like really nitpick that and say that's a hundred percent. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's because, all like, there. for instance, in Daniel, when Daniel describes the destruction of uh, of Babylon, he he describes the sun, you yeah. know, being blotted out, and right? Like right. the stars falling from the sky. Did any of that happen? No. Yeah, but he symbi- says that. it's symbolic. It's symbolic. Yeah. yeah right. So, anyways, um, well, and to give the preterists even more ammunition, uh, Revelation one verse one says the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. Right. That, that has a sound of immediacy. Immediacy. Sounds like it's going to happen uh, in John's lifetime. And when was Revelation written? I mean, there's a lot of debate about that. I've heard as late as 90 AD. Yeah. Which, oh, oh wait a minute. <laughs> If you wrote it in 90 AD, that's 20 years after the fact. So hmm. I don't know. It's it's all I, be a Berean. That's that's what we're right. saying. <laughs> Go study this stuff up to uh, or study it out and come to a conclusion or come to an open mindedness where you may have already had a conclusion. Um, I want to just look at a couple other verses for the futurist standpoint. Um, also, Matthew 24, verse, verse 4 through 8. So he's once again in the, in the Olivet Discourse. And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places, and all these are the beginning of birth pains. So, and this talks about before the tribulation. Right. He's, he's mentioning all this stuff. So, mm-hmm. now between, in the 40 years between Jesus and the destruction of the temple, sure, there were little wars, I'm sure, but I mean, it wasn't what this type of thing that he's discussing here. Right. Where you have these global uh, wars and wars famines and, and, and earthquakes right. and, and sure. all this happening, so I mean they all have their arguments, and I I totally get them. <laughs> <laughs> so um, 
before we run out of time, we got to get into millennialism. We're not going to run out of time, are we? No. Okay, no. good. Okay, so uh, yes, millennialism. So did we do future? Did we get future? We gave futurism a fair shake. How about historicism? Did we get that a fair shake? Because uh, before we jump into millennials, yeah, because I, I guess ha- futurism is. Millennials. Yeah, I don't have a whole lot aside from because those historicism and spiritualism, they're kind of the quiet ones, right? You know, they're not the ones that are making the most noise. It's really it's it's kind of preterism versus futurism. That's kind of the bigger. By the way, thing. Martin Luther, John Calvin, uh, John Knox, Thomas Cranmer, they're all historicists. Mm, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, these are the you know the reformers pretty mm-hmm. much, and they, you know, uh, by the way, Charles Charles Wesley also was a ah that's pretty interesting, um, but uh, I I think that historicism, I think historicism and preterism could fit really closely together and almost nicely, you know. Um I'm I'm big on this is this is what I I believe I know for sure, but I'm not going to like take a stand on. I believe that there <laughs> you know for sure yeah. but you're not going to take a stand on. I believe that there will be a second coming. There will be some type of millennial. I do. And I, and I believe that after that some type of millennium then there will be a final judgment. That's pretty much all I know. <laughs> I I don't I don't believe in the rapture as they've depicted it. Personally. Oh right, but that's just me. Anyways, you know I believe. In well, first you know, as Chuck Missler says, if you don't, if you don't agree with him on pre-trib rapture, he'll explain it to you on the way on up. the way up. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I'm also, you know, I'm also a laundry man. I believe it all come out in the wash. Yes, so. it will. God's in control of us. <laughs> here's good. the here's the big thing. Be watchful. Yeah, that's what it's all about. That's right. That's what. What's he keep telling us about this stuff? Watch, therefore. Sure. Watch, therefore. Right. Be ready. Right. That's what it's about. It's I mean, That's why this stuff is vague. Sure. He doesn't want you to have a roadmap to the end of the world, right. crying out loud. He wants you to be ready and see signs and maybe think, ooh, maybe I should be ready. And I think that, uh, <laughs> man, I, I really think that uh, dispensationalists, especially premillennial dispensationalists, they really got a, a big helping in the, uh, in the reestablishment of Israel. Mm. In the 1940s, right, and and the fact that Israel keeps like dominating everybody, even though like mm-hmm. like they're surrounded by enemies, they are literally surrounded by enemies. Yeah, there's some weird supernatural stuff, stuff going on that there. appears to be going on. Oh yeah, with all that. I mean, the Six Day War. I mean, have you ever really read that? It's amazing. Or, or read about it? I mean, it's it, completely outnumbered, completely outgunned. Oh, just bam, yeah, and it just happened, right. And oh, there's just all kinds of sure. uh, of, of weird stuff. And uh, I have seen some dispensationalists map out uh, like Daniel's seventy years and yeah. all that sort of thing. There's a book by uh, Sir Robert Anderson called um, "The Coming Prince." Wow, that's an interesting book. Really, uh, and what he does is he shows in there that the time from the building of the temple. Of course, he's reading out of Daniel from the building of the temple until Jesus coming through the gate and he and he he figured out all the math and all that sort of thing right. and it's exactly what Daniel said and uh, anyway if you take his math and keep it moving forward yeah. it lands exactly on 1948 whenever Israel became a nation again I mean, it's just oh there's all kinds of weird stuff there sure okay so what what kind of happens here is you got these four camps that we've talked about that 
pretty much from the uh, chapter four of Revelation through chapter 19. Yeah. Is pretty much where these camps do all their bickering. At chapter 20, there's an event that happens where Satan is bound in, in the earth for a thousand years. Yeah. And there's this reign upon the earth, this thousand year reign. Of peace and prosperity and yes, where before, Jesus sets up his kingdom on earth. Right. Before the beast, the is, beast is, let is, out. is let out again or whatever. So it's just kind of funny. So you've got this this millennium is a thousand years. Yeah. So you've got this thousand year. Uh, it, I mean, you can't get around. It's there. They're talking about it. Right. The question is, what is it? Is it literal? Is it figurative? Is it... Um, is it a, 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 an actual reign of Jesus here on the earth? Because all this talk about Jesus coming bodily here happened right before this chapter. Right. So if this is a linear progression. So the biggest thing with millennialism is where do you put the second coming of Jesus? Of Jesus and then where do you put the last judgment? Right. Yeah. And so uh, this creates more camps. Oh, yeah. Okay, so now you've got subcamps of these four groups yep. even. Um, with maybe the exception of the preterists, yeah. because they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna literal or figure they're gonna make all this figurative, pretty much for me the non literal kind right. of from here on out. So um, so you've got this this it, you've got three major camps of people when it comes to the millennium. I got the four actually. Oh, do you? Well, pre pre trib, post trib. Well, no, that's that's uh, rapture. Well, the four camps the, of millennialists, though. The, is... the, the millennialists are, there's pre-millennialists, which believe that, right. that Jesus comes before the millennium. Okay, okay, I get what you're saying. Go You've ahead. got post-millennialists, post which means he comes after the millennium. Right, which we I, I can't wait to comment on. And then you've yeah. got amillennialism. Right, okay. Amillennialism means it's not a real thousand years. Right. It's a symbolic thing. Right. Okay, so you've got kind of these those three sure. divisions of sure. so like whenever you ask someone their eschatological view, then they they, 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 they they tell you, well, I'm a a, a pre-trib pre-millennial futurist, right? Or I'm a post-tribulational <laughs> pre-millennialist. <laughs> <laughs> So I mean, you can mix and match. It's kind of like I'm a pre-tribulational dispensational premillennialist. <laughs> but but you probably won't hear a pre-trib premillennial preterist. No, <laughs> that ain't gonna work. So, <laughs> so okay. So let's talk about um, let's talk about uh, um. Premillennialists. Okay, so okay. those are people that believe that basically Jesus comes back with his people. This is the rapture, by the way. That the second coming of Jesus, I believe, yeah. is the same thing. They're caught up with him in the air. That he comes down. He sets up his reign in Jerusalem, right? And his mm -hmm. kingdom spans throughout the entire world. The world is subjected to him. Satan is bound, and all his demons are bound from the earth, tossed into. The pit, okay, mm -hmm. um, not into the bottomless pit, but into the pit, 
Okay, because right. there's two distinct things here. Right. And then for a thousand years, there's peace, prosperity, no problems. But what happens? Well, what happens is, is God loosens Satan from the pit and his demons. And part of the reason I believe this happens is because there are people on earth that didn't die mm-hmm. whenever Jesus you know, came in his reign. And so there was sin still on the earth, even though there's peace. Right. There's still sin that's on the earth. Okay. So then there's the last judgment, the final judgment, where he separates uh, the good from the bad. And then he takes Satan, all those bad, all of his followers. He puts them in the pit and then casts them in the bottomless pit. And then he makes a new heaven and a new earth. <laughs> right? Did right. I get that right? Yeah. So that's, that's premillennialists. Yes. Okay. So the amillennialists. Don't they believe that it's symbolic millennialism? Yeah. The the millennials believe that the binding of Satan represents the victory of Christ over the powers of darkness that was accomplished at the cross. At the cross, that's right. Okay, the thousand years is symbolic of a long indeterminate period corresponding to the age of the earth or the age of the church, which is now. No. Yeah. So, um, so it is, and and where this come from comes from is there is there are a lot of numbers in the Hebrew. Uh, vernacular that are used symbolically or vaguely right. to represent large amounts of time. Yeah, forty. Yeah, forty is used a lot. Most of the time, whenever four you see forty in the scriptures, it's more of a represent. It's representing a time of judgment more yeah. so than a physical forty. Right. So forty days, forty nights. 40 years in the wilderness. I think that was actually 38 years. Yeah. So I mean. It, um, so a thousand is another one of these. You know, uh, do all millennialists have a lot uh, in common with uh, historicists? I believe. Well, you can be a historicist and an all millennialist, right? So, the, and that's where you know when you get past chapter nineteen, you can really start mixing and matching yeah. some of this stuff. So you can be a premillennial uh, historicist. You can be an all millennial historicist. Right. I mean, you can um, you can be a post millennial theonomist. We'll get to that in a second. And how retard... Never mind, excuse me. Please forgive me. Sorry, people. So you got... uh, This thousand years is symbolic. Uh, I actually heard one guy say, if if we're in the millennium right now, the devil's chain is too long. Oh, that's good. (laughs) Okay, so but anyway, Satan will be loosed briefly to wreak havoc and to persecute the church in the end of the present age. Yeah. Fire coming from heaven and consuming the wicked is symbolic of Christ's second coming. A general resurrection and judgment of the evil and good will occur at Christ's coming, followed by the creation of new heavens and new earth. So that's the all-millennial. Right. You'd also be an all-millennial theonomist, couldn't you? It (laughs) makes sense. Probably not, though. Because post-millennial thing is a big part of the theonomy thing. It is. Yeah. It is. And, okay, so let's get to that. Postmillennialists believe that what happened is uh, Christ died, um, ushering in the church age, uh, the kingdom of heaven on earth. Um, and then what's going to happen is gradually we are going to transform and take the world for Jesus. Mm-hmm. And once we do that, then we will usher in the millennial uh, reign of Christ on earth, symbolically. Or Christ will come at the end of a thousand years right. of 
Exactly, because we have a thousand of years our perfected of government. perfected government. <laughs> now think about this, hilarious. Right. I'm sorry, it's very funny to me, but You've a thousand years family that's going to be coming down on you. Dude. I I don't care. I just think it's <laughs> okay. So a thousand years of perfected government where uh, where it's a theo- it's a theocracy basically, uh, where we go to God and 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 uh, we go back to the original. Laws, mandated laws, and laid down for us in in the Old uh, Testament. In the Old Testament, which is so against Scripture. <laughs> but anyway, so we do that. It's so against Galatians. I'm sorry. It's just totally. Am I the only one that believes that here? Oh no. Okay, so it's against Galatians uh, to begin with, but against most of Paul's epistles. Anyways, so. Um, we have that thousand years of prosperity where uh, we go back to the Levitical law and then we usher in the second coming of Jesus and the last co- judgment. Yep. There's one problem here. Um, the one major drawback that I, I could, if I looked and saw, which would throw post-millennialists for a loop, Satan and his... Demons have to be bound in hell before the millennium starts. Am I correct? Mm-hmm. What does scripture say about Satan and his demons right now? That they roam about like roaring lions, see whom they devour. In fact, it tells us to put on spiritual armor because <coughs> our our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, right. but powers, what and darkness. Ar- what their argument is is that the binding of, of Satan isn't necessarily a... Um, protection of him from uh, or us from him it is the defeat the victory of christ over him that it's a symbol that is symbolic. symbolic chaining of of his strength has been chained by jesus's uh victory okay so that so, happened at the cross right so like they they'll tie in romans 6 mm-hmm. where you're not slaves to sin anymore right and this is and Again, though, my argument is, is if that's even symbolic, it's bad symbolic because uh, Satan is not bound. Um, he's still the prince of this earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, scripture tells us that, right? So Satan in one sense is bound um, in uh, in reference to the fact that uh, he has no power over uh, somebody who's been saved. Through Christ, but he's he's still very much alive and a part of this world, and his mm-hmm. demons are very much alive right. and a part of this world, and still in control of this world. Anybody has to just turn on TV in order to find. Well, that I think out. the amillennialists and the postmillennialists would probably agree with you. They just think that the chaining doesn't represent, yeah, you know, his right. not being the god of the world. Is right. So, what do they do with the whole being loosed again? Well, let's see. Um, the amillennialists basically say that that's a a, a brief um, havoc wreaking uh, persecution of the church that happens. Um, <laughs> the so they want their cake to eat it too. The yes, <laughs> but that's the way most everybody is really. Um, when you oh when yeah, you, when you think about it, right? Everyone wants their cake and eat it too. Yeah, on all in all these camps, oh, there's yeah. not a single one that has to be a well, whack. Yeah. I about, want my cake and eat it too because, on the Olivet Discourse. So. Yeah, 
because there's always going to be that passage that disagrees with one of these camps. Sure. But, okay, so anyway. And I think that's the reason God does, I think that's the reason that, that we can't understand it is because God wants to confound. Well, the, just remember, and this was probably should be used at the end of our discussion, but okay. in the first chapter of Revelation, he says you're blessed if you read it. Yeah. doesn't say you're blessed if you understand it. <laughs> Amen, man. You're blessed if you read it. Sure. If, if you read it, it's it's the journey that is right. the okay. So there is the post millennial uh, group says that the th- that the final attempt on the part of a loosed Satan at the end of the age will get nowhere. So it's basically saying even though he's loosed, he has no real effect because of the power of Jesus. So um, so anyway, um, wow. After this millennial thing, you've got the um, the new Jerusalem coming from the sky. Yeah, right. And uh, new heavens, new earth. Yeah, judgment. All right. all this stuff happens. Um, this even opens up the camps further. Okay. Because now you've got an even bigger division, and that is the literalist versus the non-literalist. Yeah. So the literalist will say that. Um, some descriptions in the final chapters are pretty literal as applied to a brand new planet, brand new universe, which will be created after the close of the millennium or else at the second coming. If you're some, if you're an all millennialist right. or if you're a post millennialist, it just depends. But that the, the, the coming of new Jerusalem is a complete new creation, physical recreation of heaven and earth. Yeah. The non-literalists will spiritualize the whole vision, applying it to a non-material state of existence in heaven. So the new Jerusalem coming down is all symbolic of what heaven will be in our final state. Uh, Others take the new heaven and new earth to represent what Paul called a new creation in 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. I'm opposed to that. You are? I am opposed to that. (laughs) Because... Because that is a that, <laughs> that passage is one of the key regeneration passages. Yeah, yeah. You're a new creation now. You don't have to wait to the end of the world. Right. So Well, I'm opposed to that. Yeah. So that passage is not referring to eschatology. No, 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 no. But okay. <laughs> I'm wondering if this is what this means, this is what this guy means, because this is what I take it as. Okay. Um I'm a new creation in Christ. Yes. That doesn't mean that I didn't actually physically like, okay, so, you know. He remade your heart. Exactly. I didn't yes. stop becoming, I didn't stop being Jeremiah. I mean, Correct. I'm, I'm Jeremiah. I'm Correct. not, I'm not something like totally different. Like Bruce Jenner becomes Caitlin here. Yeah. Well, okay. but, well, <laughs> well, depending on where you're at. You could change very drastically. Oh yeah, you could. You could be a new, and that's that's part of it, being a new creation. Yeah. But your physicality, your physical makeup didn't correct, didn't change. Okay. I would have loved to have lost a hundred pounds whenever he may be a new creation. That just didn't happen. Um, what if by new heaven and new earth he meant just like in the days of Noah, whenever he destroyed yeah. the earth? Yeah. Uh, he cleaned it. He refined it. He destroyed it by making it new again, uh, by wiping everything off the face of the planet except for Noah and a bunch of animals, right? Right. 
what if what he means by new heaven and new earth is sinless perfection? Right. That's that's what the non-literalists are going to say. Right. And I, I th- part of oh, some of them will say that. I, I think that it, I think it's symbolic of sinless perfection, and what I think it is is going to be this earth redeemed. Because to me, I I don't think that uh, God's creation is something that He's going to just totally annihilate. Right. Well, I mean, it it all depends on what your camp is. Yeah, I guess so. Because once again, you're going to be a non-literalist if you are preterists here, because you're going to, you're going to see this new heaven and new earth as something other than a physical futuristic place. Right. It's got to be like, here's one take on it. The condition of those who are in a covenant with God and Christ through the new covenant would be a new heaven and new earth. The old heaven and old earth would mean the old covenant having passed away. So it's not future at all. We're not even talking about future. We're just talking about you being a new creation. No, I, I'm still. I still believe it's going to happen in the future. I don't, I don't yeah. agree with that. So, so um, I have a problem with that. There's another non-literalist view that says New Jerusalem represents the church itself, represented under the imagery of the new holy of holies, which is the tabernacle of God with men in its present earthly existence. Huh. So John sees this new. Uh, Jerusalem coming down. Yeah. Jerusalem was the place of the temple, right? Right. He sees this coming down. This is nothing more than the coming of the church. This is oh. not talking about our future her home. It's talking about our home now. Yeah. So that's that's another non-literal right. way of interpreting it. So, so what I'm getting at is, is all this is about as clear as mud. It, yeah, we've made it completely as clear as mud. <laughs> And you know it's amazing. You just type in eschatology in your search bar, and spend five years. And I know that there are people out there listening that are just completely on one of these fences, and they're just itching to tell us about it. Yeah, please do. We- I would love to hear all about it. <laughs> w- Explain to us why that's you know. Yeah. Your your take is the only <clears throat> take. That's great. <laughs> But uh, you know, so where have we come out? Where are we at? I, what are where are we? Are we post millennial, uh, post tribulational millennialists? Well, I think we we pretty much covered all the camps. Okay, and that's really kind of all we can do right now. I think I, I don't think there's because you've else got we can do. you've got okay to recap. We got the four camps of uh, preterism, historicism, yeah. futurism, spiritualism, and within those you can may have this whole mix of of post-trib, oh, right. mid-trib, yeah. or uh, pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib reb, uh, rapture yeah. group, uh, or it doesn't exist at all, or uh, add on top of that the other mix of what do you think about the millennial sure. period, the, yeah. the thousand-year reign. Is it is it uh, going to happen after Jesus comes? Is it going to happen uh, before Jesus comes? Or... Is it just completely symbolic anyway? Hmm. Are you that would be amillennialism? Gosh! And in the new heaven and the new earth, is that completely literal? Right. Is it completely figurative? Is it, is it something in between? Exactly. So you know, wherever you land on this, there you go. And ha- whatever camp you land in is going to determine how you're reading Daniel. It's going to determine how you're reading Ezekiel. It's going to determine how you're reading sure. all kinds of passages. Sure. Um, also, I would I would like to give a nod to postmillennialist. Go back to that. Uh, okay. Um, there were some pretty significant John Owen is a post millennialist. Uh, um, well, Jonathan Edwards, uh, 
was a post-millennialist. Th- these are great, you know, theologians of, of yesteryear, uh, Calvinist. Uh, R.C. Sproul Jr. is a post-millennialist. Oh, so he and his dad aren't quite on the yeah, same page. they're not on the same page there. Pretty interesting. <laughs> so, you know, whatever you, you land on, there you go. But uh, i tell you one thing. It shouldn't change. It shouldn't change the gospel. That's correct. So we need to make sure that whatever end-of-the-world scenario you choose... <laughs> That you tell somebody about Jesus before it happens. <laughs> yes, yes. Amen. And that's and that's the whole point. Watch. That's right. Be ready. He, he'll come as a thief in the night. Exactly. And that's that's what uh, we're constantly given this charge. Yeah. To just be mindful and be watchful. Amen. And to uh, and and to make sure that you are that new creation. That's right. That we were talking about. Man, it's fun being back in the studio. Yes, with you. it is. Now let's see if you can read your script. All right, let's do it. The Theonauts are part of the Great Commission Transmission Network using new media and social networking to go into all the world and proclaim the good news to everyone. To find out, and eschatology. Yes. To everyone. To everyone. To find out more or to partner with us, visit us at gctnetwork.com. Subscribe to the newsletter and stay up to date on all the latest from our friends over at Finding Christ in Cinema and us and all the shows that are, are building. There's Good things coming. Amen. There are there are things in the works. Awesome. There are several ways to contact us and leave us feedback. Send us an e- email at two. Send us email to theonauts at gctnetwork.com. Call us on our voicemail line, 972-885-7270. Listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or your favorite podcast catcher. And don't forget to leave us comments there and rate us. Tweet to us on Twitter using at Theonautical. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Theonauts. You can follow us. You can. <laughs> you really can on Instagram. We might not ever post anything there. but Nope. At Theonauts. <laughs> and, uh, you know, don't forget to tune us. You know, we post a lot more on Twitter. Check that out. We do. Um, don't forget to tune in again to explore the vast reaches of God's word with us. Jeremiah, thanks for being back, brother. Thank you, David. Love it. This has been the Theonauts Podcast. Call us with your questions or comments at 972-885-7270. That's 972-885-7270. Love to hear from you. You are tuned in to the GCT Network. This is your Great Commission Transmission at GCTNetwork.com. This is your Great Commission Transmission. It's the end of the world as we know it.